Okay, we are in Lesson 42. We're going to look at some words from Agur, finish up there, and then we're going to get into Chapter 31 and look at a few words from Lemuel. Okay, we're starting off at verse 17. And so let's look, first of all, at what verse 17 says of chapter 30. The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out, and the young eagles will eat it. Pretty encouraging verses there, are they not? Here's what we're talking about. It's a warning. Severe punishment awaits those who show disrespect for their parents. Severe punishment awaits those who show disrespect for their parents. Now, this is a principle here, so let me just say something now. This is not, so don't go home and tell them, tell your children when they show you disrespect, that a bird's going to pluck their eye out and an eagle's going to eat it. Alright, that's not the point here. There, there is a greater general principle here because this is what wisdom is. Proverbs are, remember, they're pithy sayings conveying words of wisdom. And so this is the general principle that we're talking about here. Is that when you have children who are not dealt with as they show disrespect to their parents, what kind of life awaits them? Pain. If they don't learn basic respect in the home, what kind of respect are they going to show in society? What kind of respect are they going to show to authority in society? And so basically what they're looking at later on down the road is what? Trouble. And basically severe trouble, punishment, destruction. See, that's the warning. That's the warning. See, my friends, this is why it's so important for you, however you choose to discipline, to be consistent in your discipline with your children. Because you're molding their character. The issue is a molding of character. You understand? The issue is a molding of character. Because if you have somebody who is not respectful in the home, the basic unit, how are they going to function in society? They're not going to function in society. They're not going to function in society. Now look at verses 18 through 19. Agur is going to tell us four amazing things from nature. Look at what he says there. There are three things which are too wonderful for me. Yes, four which I do not understand. Here's what he says. The way of an eagle in the air. The way of a serpent on the rock. The way of the ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a virgin. Now, here's what he's saying. Many things in nature are amazing, but incomprehensible. Many things in nature are amazing, but incomprehensible. So, like, for instance, we have some bald eagles around here. How many of you have seen the bald eagles around here? I remember driving one day down the Kerwinsville, Kerrville Highway, just getting out of Kerwinsville, Right out there, I guess it's Arnoldtown there. And I'm looking across the river. This is when the river was really down last fall, right before the rains came. And right there by the Civic Center. And I'm looking, and there's this bird, black bird with a white head, in the middle standing there, and four crows around him. And I guess he had a, had a fish. You know, and the crows, I think they were just heckling him, because I'm sure they didn't want to tussle with that guy. But 
The amazing thing is there's that bird. And then when you see it fly, and it's soaring up there, or when you see a hawk soaring, that's just amazing. It's amazing that an animal can do that. You get me jumping off of something, I thud. I don't float. Okay? And, and that's the way we are. It's amazing. And, and for instance, when he talks about here, the way of a man with a virgin, that's talking about a marriage relationship there. A marriage relationship. That's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. It's incomprehensible. You know, it is incomprehensible. So that's what he's saying. There's four amazing things in life. Are you, you know, the greater point is, is are you paying attention to life around you? There are things that are beyond our comprehension. Look now, verse 20, the warning again. And this is interesting that he would follow up verse 19, the end of verse 19 with this. Look at what he says. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. Here, here is, this is almost as amazing as the four other things we just looked at. And almost incomprehensible. And here's what he's saying. Equally amazing is the insensitivity of, an, of the adulteress, or you could even put adulterer, to sin. See, this is what, you know, the Bible, again, the Bible conveys very much a one woman, one man for one lifetime. And so when you have somebody who breaks that, especially in Proverbs, in Proverbs, the adulterer and the adulteress, does it give a good view of that person in, in Proverbs? We've, we're getting towards the end here. Whenever we've brought it up, it's been a while since we've talked about this issue. It doesn't have a good view of them, does it? And it almost, can I be honest with you, Proverbs talks about it in this way, that there are sins that really, you know, any other sin can be dealt with, but there is something different about the sin of adultery. There's something different. Something changes. See, here's her point. She takes a casual approach to her sinful ways, treating them as lightly as eating a meal and asserting that there's nothing wrong with adultery. See, there's an insensitivity to sin with an adulterer or an adulteress. It really doesn't matter to them. They're just as whatever, nonchalant about it. And, and really, that's being conveyed in our society that, hey, if you're not doing it, there must be something wrong with you. Everybody's doing it. Isn't that what's being conveyed out there? That it's just natural. And, and really, this is what Proverbs is talking about, that there is this, it's amazing to see that there are people who act this way. Because let me ask, what is amazing about it? Anybody want to guess what, what is so amazing about it? What does it convey about that person? Okay, they're a liar. That's true. But there's something deeper than that. Okay, well, they're lost. That's good, Tom. But there's even something more deeper than that. Okay, it's their character. What is it about their character? Well, okay, no respect for themselves, but that really that's not the issue with them. That's good, though, Mabel. Anybody else? Can't be trusted, but there's something at the heart of it. The heart of their character. Yes, self, selfish. See, they're completely selfish. So to them, it's like eating a meal. Because their whole focus is on what? What they want. 
And, and you know, you try to tell that to people. You try to tell that to, to someone who's leaving their spouse and going off with somebody else and they're in an adulterous affair because he or she, quote, loves them. And that person that they, quote, love is leaving their spouse. You don't know how many times I've, I've, I've had conversations with, with people who, with a young lady who's with a married man. And you try to convey to them, well, he loves me and I love him. Okay, fine, wonderful. But at one time, he loved her. And he left her for you. He'll leave you for someone else. Because what he's focused on is not others. Because if he was focused on others, what would he be looking at? He would be looking at the needs of his spouse, of his wife. And how would it affect his family? He's just focused on what? On himself. And that's either male or female. It's gone either way. I've seen it both ways. The issue is, is that there is an insensitivity to sin. Why? Because they're so focused on self. And listen, that's what, can I be honest with you, that's what our culture is conveying. Our culture is conveying that you should just be focused on what you want. And you know what? If you don't like it, leave it. Go find something else. Here are four unbearable, unfair things. Look at verse 21 through 23. Three things the earth, for three things the earth is perturbed. Yes, for four it cannot bear up. For a servant when he reigns, a fool when he is filled with food, a hateful woman when she is married, and a maidservant who succeeds her mistress. So here's the point I want you to see. This has to do with social turmoil. Social turmoil comes with the elevation of unqualified people to positions of power. Social turmoil comes with the elevation of unqualified people to positions of power. This is something you and I need to be aware of. Let's look for small and four wise things. Verse 24 through 28. Look at what it says there. There are four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a feeble folk, Yet they make their homes in the crags. The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. The spider skillfully grasps with his hands, and it is in king's palaces. So here's the point I want you to see. Physical limitations may be compensated for in other ways. Physical limitations may be compensated for in other ways. So for instance, when you think of an ant, an ant... You know, you're trying to get rid of them. You're squashing them. You're putting the bait out for them because, I mean, they're, they're pretty small. But what he's saying is they're pretty wise because an ant will work all summer for what? For now? Yeah, for the winter. As soon as the winter leaves, guess where they're back at again? In your kitchen. You know, they're looking for food again. That's what they're doing is they're storing up for winter. Okay, for instance, notice something. It talks about a spider. And here it makes the point that spiders are even found where? In king's palaces. Here you are. You're going to war against spiders in your house. Have you noticed that? You're going to war against spiders. And 
because you're going to war against the spiders, they're there, they're there everywhere. Look at the next one. Since God provides the lowest of his creation, he will provide for his own people. Look, when you think about it, you know how many times do we worry about stuff? About am I going to make it? How many of you worry about making it? Okay. A lot of us do, right? Especially these days with gas prices the way they are, food prices going high. We worry about stuff. But yet God, have you noticed that God takes care of the animals around us? I was noticing something the other day. I haven't heard his... I've heard, we have a big maple tree right outside the front of the house where our windows open up to. So like the dawn chorus is at 5 o'clock every morning. The birds are... But I noticed that there aren't very many nests in that, that tree this, this year. And the other day I was sitting... I was getting ready to go for a walk in the morning and I looked up and I saw a crow. In the back of our property are some big uh, spruce trees and a crow has built a nest up there. So I saw this crow going into the trees. And here it was robbing nets. You know, the other birds were away getting what? Food. This one was coming in getting its food. And so but even with that, God, the way God has set up things, he takes care of even a crow. He takes care of the little ones, little birds, ants, grubs, you know, possums, deer. I mean, you look at it. You know, they, they, yeah, they go through hard times themselves, but God ultimately takes care of them. The point I want you to see is, is when you look at these four amazing little creatures, it's amazing how God has taken care of them. The, the, the word of comfort for you and I is, and in fact, isn't this not what Jesus said? How much more will I not take care of you? Jesus said he would take care of us. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Jesus didn't say he would give you the truck you want. Jesus didn't say he would give you the clothes that you think you need to wear. Jesus didn't say he'll give you cable or DSL or all that other stuff. Does anybody find that anywhere in the Bible? He said he would take care of you. Do you understand what I'm saying? He said he would take care of you. And that's something I think, you know what, I'll be honest with you. What's happening in our world today, can I just say this? I think God is allowing it to happen. Because he's trying to get our attention. Because for so long we've been so self-sufficient. And so some of you now are being forced to pray about things you never thought you'd have to pray about before. If he could take care of the little animals around you, will he not take care of you? Now you may have to give up your dish. You may have to give up DSL. Because when it comes right down to it, you may have to give up a vacation. Or two. Or three. Because when it comes right down to it, what's the basic needs that we have, everybody? Eating. Shelter. Clothing. You know? Those are, those are real things. So when we look at these four amazing little animals and we see that God takes care of them, is he not going to take care of you too? Is he not going to take care of you too? That, that's the whole point I want you to see there. Let's go on. Four stately creatures. Look at verse 29 through 31. 
There are three things which are majestic in pace. Yes, four which are stately in walk. A lion, which is mighty among beasts and does not turn away from any. A greyhound, a male goat also, and a king whose troops are with him. So here's the point I want you to see now. In God's order, some are in humble positions and others are more prominent. Are all animals stately? When you look at a when you look at a possum, does that look like an animal that is stately and regal? It looks pretty disgusting. How about a skunk? No, but how, but how about it when you see that eagle? You're saying, or when you see a lion in the wild? Those are animals that are stately animals, and that's the whole point: is that God, in His order of things, has given some a higher position. And some of what? A lower position as far as their, their equality and so forth. Look now at the advice that Ogor gives us as he closes out his section. And here's some advice before we get to the words of Lemuel. Look at verse 32. If you have been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have devised evil, put your hand on your mouth. For as the churning of milk produces butter, and wringing in the nose produces blood... So the forcing of wrath produces strife. So here's the point I want you to see. Here's his advice, and this is something he's trying to tell us. Pride and anger only produce strife. Here's what he's saying. When you churn milk, you get what? Butter. If I was to come up here to Bruce and just start squeezing on his nose, like it says here, wringing his nose, what, what does it produce? Blood. That's what he's saying. When you have pride, what does it produce? Ultimately. What does it produce? Pride comes out of what? Selfishness. So my focus on self. And ultimately, my pride is going to lead to what? Especially when you couple it with anger. Yeah, it's going to lead to trouble. It's going to lead to strife. Okay. Now, let's look. We're going to look now at the first nine verses of chapter 31, the words of Lemuel. Look at verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance of his mother, that which his mother taught him. And so here's the thing. First of all, the sage. Nothing is known about King Lemuel, although some people say it's Solomon. Again, I don't believe that's, that's accurate. I think these are just the, Solomon, as he compiled this, and others who compiled this put these words in. We don't know who King Lemuel is. Here's the message that he's going to give us. The message is advice that was given to the king by his mother. So these are the words of wisdom from a mom. These are words of wisdom from mom. Now remember, remember, how many of you remember your mom giving you wisdom? Telling you, don't do this, don't do that. How many of you remember just flat out saying, you don't know anything, mom? Be honest. Yes. You know, we knew better. I remember my dad, I used to think my dad, I hate to say this, it was very disrespectful of me. I used to think my dad was a dumb North Carolina hick who didn't know anything. Until I left home. Then I realized that my dad was the smartest man alive. And the one who was a dumb hick was who? Me. Okay? Do you see what I'm saying? And, and that's, that's reality. So look, he gives some warnings here that he received from his mother. Look at verse 2 through 3. What, my son, 
And what, son of my womb, and what, son of my vows, do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. Okay, here's his point. The king is warned not to spend his strength on sensual lust. There, there, is a, there is something here that you need to recognize. And because this is where our focus of our culture is right now. Our culture is totally focused on everybody fulfilling their what? Their sensual desires. You want to have it. Take it. it, it, it you ever notice that society will tell you to do, do it, but society doesn't tell you what happens because of it? First of all, that doesn't sell TV shows. That doesn't make a movie. Society will tell you all that, but they don't tell you the heartbreak of it. So here's, he's being warned by his mother, don't spend your energy, your strength, focused on sensual, what? Lust, because it'll destroy you. It'll destroy you. The ultimate example of that is Ted Bunny. Do you guys remember Ted Bunny? Some of you are young, old enough to remember Ted Bunny. Those of you... Remember, he was the mass murderer, the, the, the serial killer of women and so forth. Ted Bundy will tell you that how he got to the place in his interview with Dr. James Dobson before he was executed, he said that his whole life began simply with reading Playboy magazine. And then his whole energy was focused on what? The sensual. And since then, see, this is an extreme case, because you say, well, I'm not that extreme. That's not, that's not the point. But the point is, is that it will destroy you. It will destroy you. And it will destroy others around you. The repetition of son here shows the seriousness of the warning. His mother is wanting to get his attention about this. His mother is saying, listen to me, son. And notice how what he says, what, my son? What, son of my womb? What son of my vows? Listen, he's expressing some seriousness. You need to pay attention. Here's the point she's saying. She warned him that adultery has a debilitating effect on one's mind and body. Listen, Christian, I've seen this. I've seen individuals, quote, find the love of their life. It doesn't matter that they, quote, married the love of their life before, but now they found the true love of their life. And it doesn't matter how much Christian upbringing they've had. It doesn't matter how much they've even served the Lord. When they allow themselves to fall into this particular sin, I've seen it happen over and over again. It changes them. It changes their mind. It changes their thinking. They'll chuck everything else out the window that they've been taught before. Because what they're focused on is what? The sensual. And so everything else, they, 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 something changes about them. That's the point that I want you to see. Don't go there. And believe me, you'll be tempted. You'll be tempted. Ladies, you'll be tempted. Men, you'll be tempted. Because I know it gets frustrating in your relationships. You say, well, man, something's got to be better than this. 
No. Not necessarily. And what happens is if you go down this road, it has a debilitating effect on your mind. It has a debilitating effect on your body. Look at the second warning now, verses 4 through 7. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Look at verse 7. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Okay, here's the point. The danger of drunkenness is the tendency to cloud judgment resulting in injustice. There's a warning here. Listen to me. The Bible does not give an outright prohibition on drinking alcohol. I know that maybe some of you have been taught that before, but that that really has no foundation in the Bible. What there is an outright prohibition against is what? Drunkenness. There's no prohibition from taking a drink. There's a prohibition from drunkenness. Now, however, let me just stop for a moment. But here's what I'm watching. I'm seeing. You have freedom to do that. The problem is, and I know this because I grew up in a home of an alcoholic. You don't know when you cross the line. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a line there from being a person who drinks occasionally and socially to becoming an alcoholic. And nobody knows where that line is. Nobody knows where that line is. In fact, the person who's drinking doesn't know where the line is. So that's why an alcoholic has a hard time admitting what? That they have a problem, that they're drunk, because they think they're in what? Control. See, here's the thing. Remember what Paul said? Paul said this to the Corinthians. You have freedom, yes, but it may not necessarily be good. And because you've been prohibited for years because the church is telling you, don't, 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 don't do it, don't react to the other extreme now and saying, well, I can just do whatever I want to do. I'm just so I don't need to get drunk. But have you ever noticed, that for those of you who do drink, that you do get drunk? Because in our culture, we don't drink as, for instance, you know, I'm, I'm a multicultural kid. My mother's German. I lived for a few years of my life in Germany, visit my relatives in Germany. And a lot of times they'll have a glass of wine with the meal, and that's just a traditional thing. Even the Christians drink wine with a meal in Germany. But in our culture, when we drink, we drink for what purpose? What purpose do we drink for? Yeah, to get drunk. If you don't believe that, go to a Steelers game. So here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't, but you've got to be wise because you don't know where the line is. There's a line. Now what has happened before in the past, we've just said don't do it, Period. And maybe we need to get back to that because people can't handle it. Because ultimately, can I be honest with you, and I know this because I'm a child of an alcoholic home. 
The people who pay the price are not just you who drink. It's who? The whole family. Everybody. Everybody. Let's continue on here just real quick. Alcohol may have may have been acceptable as drugs to deaden physical pain or emotional pain. So here he, Lemuel is being told, don't drink for the sake of drink, but if you've got a physical problem or you've got an emotional problem, it's okay then to take some strong drink. Let's look now finally at verse 8 and 9 as we finish up here real quick. Open your mouth for the speechless and in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Here's the point. The king is to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. The king is to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And then finally, it is the responsibility of the king to champion the rights of the poor and needy. Listen, it is the responsibility of government to take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. We need to remember that. Okay, next week we're going to be in our last lesson, The Wife of Noble Character. 